When the time came for Isaac's wife, Rebekah, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Today, we're going to continue our study of the patriarchs, and we're going to focus on Jacob today, whose name literally means he grasps the heel. This was more than just a literal description of Jacob's birth. To grasp the heel was a Hebrew idiom that meant to take advantage of or to deceive. And we know that as a young man, Jacob fully lived up to his name. Jacob took advantage of Esau when he was desperate for food and stole his birthright. Jacob deceived his father Isaac when he was old and blind and stole his brother's blessing. When Esau became enraged with Jacob and sought to kill him, Rebekah urged Isaac to send Jacob to a place called Padan Aram uh, to escape Esau's wrath and to get a wife from among the daughters of her brother Laban. On his way to Padan Aram at Bethel, Jacob dreamt of a stairway to heaven and encountered the God of his fathers for the first time. So that's a little background this morning in case we needed some review. We learn a lot about Jacob from his encounter with God at Bethel. God revealed his covenant promise to Jacob in the same way he had to Abraham and Isaac. Again, by way of review, God told Abram, go from your country your people and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And Abram went. God told Isaac, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live, and I will be with you and bless you. And Isaac stayed. Do you see the pattern? God said, do this, and I will do this, and Abraham and Isaac obeyed. But when God revealed his covenant promise to Jacob, Jacob responded differently. Jacob made a conditional vow that reversed the covenantal formula. He said, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, then the Lord will be my God. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob said to God, do this, and I will do this. Faith, the believing obedience of Abraham and Isaac, was conspicuously absent. After his encounter with God, Jacob declared, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. This is none other than the house of God. And he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. God had manifested himself to Jacob and called him into the same covenant relationship that he had Abraham and Isaac. But if Jacob's relationship with God was going to be like that of his fathers, its basic nature was going to have to change from a vow of conditional loyalty 
to a commitment of obedient faith. At Bethel, Jacob was at the start of a very long journey, much longer than he knew. He thought he was going to Padan Aram to escape his brother Esau and to get a wife. But God had far more in store for him. Jacob was going to Padan Aram to be transformed as a person. This morning, we are going to follow Jacob on his journey from Bethel to Padan Aram and back again. Along the way, we are going to be challenged by the same fundamental truth that Jacob was. To be in covenant relationship with God means transformation. And we will find that what God did in Jacob's life, he does in our lives too. So when Jacob arrives in Padan Aram, things could not have gone better. He met some local shepherds at a well, and among them was Rachel, the youngest daughter of Rebekah's brother Laban. Jacob was smitten with, a, with Rachel immediately, and he was welcomed into Laban's home. After living and working with the family for about a month, Laban offers Jacob permanent employment and tells him to name his wages. This is our reading this morning. Jacob asked for Rachel in exchange for seven years of labor, which would have amounted to roughly twice the normal bride price uh, in that day. Laban accepted Jacob's offer, and what follows is probably one of the most romantic verses in all of Scripture. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Men, try to top that in your next Valentine's card to your wife. <laughs> At this point, no one could blame Jacob for thinking covenant relationship with God is really easy. It's great. But seven years is a long time for a young man to wait. And the very next verse is not nearly as romantic. Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. Jacob's request is indelicate and demanding, but characteristic of Jacob at that time. Jacob was self-centered, he was self-reliant, and accustomed to manipulating situations to get what he wanted. But that was about to change. So Laban held the wedding feast, and the time came for the marriage to be consummated. But instead of delivering Rachel to the bridal chamber, Laban brought her older sister, Leah. Now, the NRSV translation is kind to Leah, but we still get the impression that she was not as attractive as her younger sister, Rachel. Most translations are much more direct, and they read something like this. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Suffice it to say, it would have been difficult to confuse the two sisters. But it was evening. The bride was likely veiled, and there had probably been plenty of wine at the feast, so the marriage was consummated, and when morning came, surprise, it was Leah. Life is full of surprises, but we all know that not all surprises are the same. Surprise, you got a promotion. That's good. Surprise, you need a new air conditioner. 
That's bad. Surprise, honey, my mom's staying with us for a month is debatable. <laughs> but surprise, the woman you slept with last night is not the woman you love and worked for for the past seven years, is unquestionably bad. In protest, Jacob questioned Laban. Why have you deceived me? Which is an interesting thing to come out of Jacob's mouth. What is this you have done to me? Which had a painfully obvious answer. Laban had taken, taken advantage of Jacob when he was desperate. And he had deceived him when he could not see. Laban had done exactly to Jacob what Jacob had done to his brother and his father. And so Jacob's condemnations of Laban would ultimately be self-incriminating. Hey, you deceived me. You, you grasped, grasped at my heel. You Jacobed me. And so ultimately, Jacob's humiliation would probably give way to humility, and it's then when God's transforming work in him could begin in earnest. The hard clay of Jacob's heart would have been softened, and he would have now been ready for, uh, to be shaped by the potter. Laban gave Rachel to Jacob in exchange for another seven years of work, and Scripture reveals that those years probably did not pass as quickly for Jacob as the others had. But when they were finished, Jacob told Laban that he intended to return to Canaan, but Laban convinced him to stay. For a second time, Laban said to Jacob, name your wages and I will pay them. And it is here that we get our first hints that Jacob's character had begun to change. Listen to what he says to Laban. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty will testify for me in the future whenever you check on the wages you have paid me. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark-colored will be considered stolen. To appreciate Jacob's reply, we have to know that sheep of that region were normally solid white and goats were normally solid black. Hence, the animals Jacob requested for his wages were abnormally colored and would have represented a very small percentage of the flock. The fact that Jacob wanted to conduct his affairs honestly and asked for the wages he did suggests that Jacob had begun to rely not on his own cleverness or capabilities, but on God. The skeptics among us might argue that Jacob was just setting himself up to take advantage of Laban. But Laban's next move made that impossible. Watch what Laban does. Laban took out of the flock all the abnormally colored sheep and goats and put the rest of the flock under Jacob's care. So solid white and solid black animals are not going to produce speckled and spotted animals in large numbers. 
So Laban had taken advantage of Jacob again. But God was with Jacob. He gave Jacob special insight into the mating of the flocks, and Jacob prospered. For six long years, Jacob endured heat, cold, and sleepless nights, and Laban changed his wages ten times. But through that hardship, Jacob learned to trust and obey God. And when God decided for the time had come for Jacob's trial to end, he said to Jacob, this will sound familiar, go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives, and I will be with you. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels and drove all of them, including his livestock, ahead of him to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Does this pattern sound familiar? Jacob had been conformed to the pattern of Abraham and Isaac. And now, like Abraham, Jacob's faith would be severely put to the test. When Jacob returns to Canaan, he sends messengers to Esau in hopes that what had happened between them in the past would be forgiven. When the messengers returned, they told Jacob that Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men. In great fear and distress, Jacob prays. Listen to Jacob. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. These are not the words of the manipulative, self-reliant man that left Canaan for Padan Aram 20 years earlier. Jacob had changed, but his circumstances had not. His past had not changed, and like all of us, he had to face it. Jacob decided to send several waves of gifts to Esau in the hope of pacifying him. Then he sent his wives and children and possessions ahead of him and spent the night alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. The overwhelming testimony of Scripture in the church fathers is that Jacob wrestled with the third person, or the second person, I'm sorry, of the Trinity that night. Though he was told to quit and his hip socket was severely wrenched, Jacob wept and begged for God's favor and refused to let him go until he blessed him. So catch this. The man whose nature it had been to grasp the heel grasped desperately for God instead. That night, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, which means he struggles with God. And the next day, God gave Jacob favor with Esau, so much favor that Esau tried to return the gifts Jacob had sent him. But Jacob responded like someone who had discovered, as his grandfather Abraham did, that God was his shield and is an exceedingly great reward. Listen to Jacob. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. 
For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that has been brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all that I need. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he says that all these things were written for our instruction. So what are we to learn from Jacob's journey from Bethel to Padanaram and back? Three things. At Bethel, we learn a very difficult truth. It is possible to be in the house of God and not truly know him. Knowing about God is different than knowing him. Singing about God is different than singing to him. Praying my will be done is different than praying thy will be done. And so first, as we sit in God's house this morning, let us examine ourselves and ask, what is the nature of our relationship with God? In Padanaram, we learn that covenant relationship with God always, always, always means transformation. God welcomes everyone, but affirms no one. Put another way, God receives us where we are, but never leaves us there. Many people want a relationship with God and then want God to leave them alone. But this is not how it works. This is not how it works. God always calls his children higher, to be holy, even as he is holy. In Padanaram, we also learn that God often uses hardship to change us in the areas that we are unlikely to change on our own. God will allow certain people and situations into our lives, labans, if you will, to act as instruments of our sanctification. And we must respond to them in humility and not according to the flesh if they are to accomplish in us what God intends for them to If we become embittered by annoying, difficult, or even hateful people and return evil for evil, we harden ourselves against the potter who would shape us in his image. And so though it is difficult, in these situations we ought instead to pray, Lord, I want to hate this person. How would you have me act towards them? Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this situation? Lord, I want to be like Jesus. Help me to patiently endure while you conform me to the image of your son. These are the prayers of someone who's maturing in the Lord. Back in Canaan, we learn that God wants us to wrestle with him to honestly engage him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because it's here that we become vulnerable to God's touch, and he transforms who we are. At times, wrestling with God may seem like just hanging on for dear life, 
It may be waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, I need you. I can't even make it through this day without you. And if that's where you find yourself, that's okay. That is a good place to be. It is the place where we come to the end of ourselves and put our full weight on God's promise that his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weakness. It is the place Jacob found himself at the end of his journey from Bethel to Padanaram and back. It is the place God wants to bring all of us. May we be willing to follow where he leads. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.